what words you would use to describe your Christmas season. Like, if you're catching up with a friend for a coffee, or you're in the lunchroom, you know, in the office, and someone says to you, you know, how's your Christmas treating you so far? What, what words would you use to, to describe? What, what would you say? I think commonly the words that we use to characterize this season are, are so often that the words like busy, hectic, flat out, exhausting. Because there's so much end of year stuff that happens in December, doesn't, isn't there? You know, whether it's the, the kids' dance concert or, or the staff Christmas dinner, getting reports written, picking up extra shifts at, at work, or just getting, you know, all those things done and finished so that you can then get away on your holiday. And that's not even adding in Christmas shopping and negotiating with family who is bringing what to which Christmas function when and where. You know, all, all these things that then just mean that Christmas is so often characterized as a time really of stress and of pressure, which is certainly then a far cry from what the angels proclaimed of peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. And right there in that kind of difference and, and dis- dissonance is the problem. See, the birth of Jesus was good news from God to us. But somehow we've turned it into a, a whole lot of stuff that we need to do and get done by a certain date. And you will enjoy yourself whether you want to or not. <laughs> Christmas doesn't always feel like good news. Apart maybe from the fact that we usually get to have at least a few days off, but if not a a longer holiday after it. And and in all of this then, I think we uh, so often and so easily lose sight of the the real character of of Christmas. So over the next few weeks, if, if you join us over these next few Sundays, we are going to look at the three key characters of the first Christmas. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph and Jesus And we're going to see what they reveal to us about what our Christmases could or or should be like. And maybe then as we look at God's word and we see Jesus revealed there, we we can change, we can transform the character of our Christmas from one of stress and pressure to one that that reflects the character of the one whom the angels proclaim. And so we're starting today with looking at Mary. Mary. When we look at the scriptures that, that Haley read for us earlier, we see a couple of things about, about Mary. Primarily, we see that she is a virgin, which indicates to us that really she's, she's, still, just, she's still just a young girl. In the society of the time, as a young and unmarried woman, she was, she was pretty low on the pecking order of society. We're not even told about her family but rather we're told about the the family of the man that she's going to marry. And so Mary is just someone who is very ordinary, insignificant even. We're also told that she's from Nazareth, which at the time would have had a population of at most 2,000 people, but more likely was just only about 400 people living in Nazareth. And so Nazareth was, was a nothing town. So much so that um, about 30 years later, when when Philip called his friend Nathaniel to come and check out this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel's response was, Nazareth? Man, can anything good come from there? 
It was just this nothing place. And so here's ordinary, insignificant Mary living in a very ordinary, insignificant town. And then to Mary, an angel appears. And in contrast to the picture that's been painted of her so far, the angel says to her, greetings, you who are highly favoured. And Mary's perplexed by this. She's greatly troubled at his words. And it strikes me that she's not, you know, awestruck or, or terrified by the angel like so many in the scriptures are. She's actually just hung up on, on this contrast between who the angel says she is and what her experience says she is. She's caught up in the contrast between being highly favoured and yet just being very ordinary and a nobody and insignificant. Well, as the angel then goes on, though, beyond the greeting, he tells Mary that she'll become pregnant with a son and she's to call this child Jesus. And she's told some incredible things about, about this child that, that she's to bear, that he'll be great, that he'll be called the son of God and he will be a king like his ancestor David, but with a never-ending kingdom. And all of that, if you, if you look at probably any of those bits, all of them are, are, are mind-boggling when you stop and think about it. But Mary's not even thinking about that stuff yet because she's still caught up on an earlier point. She can't start thinking about who her child is going to be because there's one little hiccup in the way of her even having this child. How will this be, she says, since I'm still a virgin? Fair question, really. Like, how is all this going to happen? And so I wonder if Mary's thinking, well, how will this be? Well, maybe I can talk to Joseph about bringing the wedding forward. Oh, but what are mum and dad going to think about that? And, oh, gee, it's actually peak season for Joe at the wood shop. I'm not sure if he'll be able to get the time off. Like, how will this happen? How will this be? It's a legitimate question, really. She's not denying what the angel is telling her, but she's just thinking about the logistics. How, how will this happen? And so then we read that the angel answered her to tell her that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, she's going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. The angel continues to say these incredible things. Incredible, that is, except for God. See, after all, if Elizabeth, who is now well along in, in years, past childbearing age, if she could be pregnant by God's intervention, then what's to say that a young virgin could not be? God can do what he says. Nothing is impossible for him. After all, I mean, he's God. But it's then Mary's next response that I want us to focus on. In the face of all this incredible news, this incredible revelation from the angel, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It, <coughs> pardon me. In the face of some amazing revelations by this angel, things that, that surely blow her mind, she responds absolutely remarkably to say, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. 
And here we see her characters shine through. Because though she is a nobody, yet she responds in willing obedience to these incredible things that God says to her through the angel. She is a humble servant. She doesn't argue. She doesn't resist. She doesn't run the other way. She doesn't preen and and boast. Rather, she humbly and willingly serves. And she could have said no, couldn't she? She could have said, I'm too young, I'm too female, I'm too small town, I'm, I'm too inexperienced, I'm too ordinary, I'm too insignificant. But she didn't say any of those things. She also could have said no because she didn't really know what she was saying yes to. She didn't know, she couldn't see all of the implications of of her choice, of of what was coming up, other than to know at the least that it would be something that would turn her world upside down. Which can often be enough of a reason for us, can't it, to, to hold back and to play it safe. She didn't know what was coming. She didn't know the joys and the heartaches that would come of having Jesus as her son. But what she did know was her attitude and her response to God. I am the Lord's servant. I'll do what he says, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't deserve it, even if I, if I can't see what will come, because he's God, not me. I will humble myself and I will trust, I will obey, I will serve. And then... She is used of God to give birth to the Savior of the world. I mean, aren't we glad she said yes? Well, speaking of the child that she bore, Jesus, when he was then a grown man, he, he had a bunch of followers around him, there, and there were 12 in particular who were his close friends who he spent a lot of time with. And two of those guys, James and John, they came to him and said, Jesus, we know that you know these things about you. We know you're going to rule and you're going to reign. You're going to have power. You're going to have majesty. You're going to have glory, all this kind of stuff. Can we just ask you that when you're in all that kind of good stuff, can we, can we be like in first and second spot next to you? Can, can I be at your right and, and I'll be at, at, at your left? Can we be in those positions of glory and power and prestige and influence as well when, when all this comes into effect? And uh, the other 10 friends of Jesus, the other 10 disciples heard that James and John had asked this and they were not pleased. They were up in arms about it. Like, who do James and John think they are? I mean, if anyone deserves to be at the right or at the left, it's me, not, not these clowns. Like, and so they, they were indignant about it. And so Jesus called them all together. And he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as, as rulers over the Gentiles, that they lord it over them and their high authorities exercise authority over them. High officials, rather. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Son of Man is a term that Jesus used to uh, describe himself. And he says here that he, even he did not come 
to be served, but to serve. I wonder, where do you think he got that attitude from? What makes this incredible, too, is the contrast of Jesus' actions to the words that the angel had said of him when he was telling Mary about Jesus' conception and birth. Because the angel, remember, had said that Jesus, that he would be great, that he would sit on the throne of David, that he would rule over his people forever. I mean, this is someone who you would expect to be served. In, in fact, at one point, Jesus admits that he could command an army of angels to do his bidding, including to rescue him from his suffering and his pain. But instead of being served, though, we see Jesus in the hours before his death, taking a towel and and wrapping it around his waist and getting down and doing the lowest job of the lowest slave as he then washed the filthy feet of his disciples. He may not have verbalized it in the same way that Mary did, but Jesus lived in such a way that his life said, I am the Lord's servant. Aren't we glad that he said yes? Because in doing so, he gave up his life for us on the cross, paying the price for our freedom from sin and from death, that we might live with God and that we might live as part of his good kingdom under his good King Jesus. His service led to our benefit and gain which is why his birth is such good news and why we celebrate it each year at Christmas. So let's think about then our Christmas. We see in Mary such a different character to what our Christmases are so often like, aren't aren't they? More often than we would care to admit, we're actually more like James and John. We want the biggest present. We want the best bit of pork crackle. We want to be the ones being served. And we certainly don't want to have to do the cleaning up. But Mary shows us a different way, a humbler way. Mary shows us a way that puts others ahead of self. She shows us a way of service. Mary shows us a way that, honestly, is costly but it's it's a way that actually has a far greater and a far better impact. So let me ask then, how can we display the character of Mary and have that shape the nature of this Christmas season for us this year? I want to make two suggestions. And the first is for us to be open to being used by God. I think young female Virgin Mary shows us that God can and does use anyone. In fact, more often than not, he uses the ordinary and the insignificant. So don't write yourself off. Don't think, you know, God could never use me. Or don't think that God has no purpose for me. But just as Mary was, be open to being used by him, but perhaps in unexpected ways, ways that you could never have foreseen. But be willing to say yes when you sense his prompting. Be open to being used by God and see what that does to your Christmas. And secondly then, 
Consider how you can put someone else ahead of yourself this Christmas. It might be at the supermarket letting someone go ahead of you in the, in the checkout line. Or while you're doing the Christmas shopping and there's the last one of the thing that you really want, but there's someone else coming in, you actually let them take it. It might be that you volunteer to do the dishes after Christmas lunch without anyone hinting or asking or nagging. Might be offering to take grandma to the shops because she can't otherwise get there. Or to do that extra bit of running around for the kids. The, the, the list of what it might look like is endless. It might be inviting a single person around for dinner or babysitting some kids so parents can have a night out or or mowing the lawn of someone who you know is just flat out with long hours. Whatever the specifics are, it's having a heart to act to serve like Mary. So consider how you can put someone else ahead of yourself. And I want to say then that as we take on the character of Mary this Christmas, as perhaps Mary's character shapes the character of our Christmas, what we are, as we do that, we are actually pointing to the one that Christmas is really all about. We're pointing ahead to Jesus, who was the ultimate example of being the Lord's servant, who was open to being used by God and who put others consistently ahead of himself. As we take on the character of Mary, we actually take on the character of Christ and we show people the good news that we celebrate as we celebrate and remember his birth at this time. So let's pray together. God, we want to thank you for, for Mary, this one who was a humble and willing servant of you. She could have said no. She could have written herself off. But instead, she trusted in you and willingly and humbly said yes. I want to pray then, God, that, that we might be more like Mary. As we are in this Christmas season, God, we can so easily get caught up in all the, all the guff and all the busyness and hecticness. We can just be longing, actually, for, for Christmas even to be over. And we lose sight of the joy and the wonder of what you have done in the midst of it in sending Jesus. So as we take on the character of Mary, I pray that you would give us that, that kind of humility and that, that willingness to serve. And as we do so, that it would transform our Christmas, both for ourselves as we just approach it with such a different attitude and with a greater sense of, of openness to you and of awe and of wonder, but it would also change Christmas for those around us Yes, as we become more pleasant and easy to live with, but as we become more like Jesus, the, the one who came all those years ago. And as we live like Mary, who lives like Jesus, may we point others to you that, that they too might share in and celebrate the good news that is the, the news of his birth. And so we pray this then in his name. Amen. Church, we're going to uh, close our time.